Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. All right, I'm going to say this is something a little bit different this week. We're super excited to get Segalen Shura onto the podcast. Now, Segalen is from a performing arts creative background, now doing some really interesting work and has got a real passion for some specific areas, which doesn't often get mashed together with the sports performance world. But I love the idea of art and science in human movement. So getting an artist and a creative on to chat a little bit about how they see movement was a real pleasure. Yeah, she's looking at everything from like how she's breathing to posture um, and then to jaw alignment, uh, everything uh, in between. And so one little bit to look out for, and this isn't just an annoying thing to like say, make sure you listen to the end, but there is like an exercise to do uh, where you're sort of uh, releasing and massaging the jaw that she talks us through and um, uh, we did it alongside and it's something to uh, definitely look out for and listen to and follow along. Uh, that's right at the end of the podcast. And hopefully that's wetted your appetite enough for this one too. All right, sit back and enjoy. Segalan Shura on the School of Calisthenics podcast. Roll that jingle. So you are in for a little bit of a je ne sais quoi uh, today, as the French would say. We have, I'm going to butcher this massively, but I'll do it with a French accent, your name, so that at least it tries to hide the fact that I don't have to pronounce it. Sigoline Chieux, correct <laughs> or close, similar? Welcome to the podcast. Just tell, uh, yeah, pronounce your name for properly so people know what that is. And then um, just give us a little bit of a background as to... Um, you know what 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 it is that you do, and uh, just to give that context for the uh, for the listeners, and then uh, I'll I can sort of pick up from how we started having this conversation, crikey, over a year ago. Yeah, that was a year ago, and all it took was me finally being brave enough to reply to a story, and yay! But before we go into this, my name is Sigolène Shoya, uh, but you can call me Sigo or Seg during this because it, I know it's it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, it started a year ago. You posted something about breathing. And yeah. and I remember picking up on that being like, oh, yeah, because breath and working on breath and alignment and posture is something that helped me overcome my injury and also allowed me to get better at my art in performance, in allowing myself to become a mover when this was a part of me that had been um well was non-existent for a very long time and then gradually overcoming health and and also just embracing real movement and sports and then discovering at first weightlifting and then shifting to calisthenics and realizing oh hang on all that body weight stuff and movement it's very close to what Laban and Alexander were doing with just embracing movement and listening to your body and not feeling the need to chase fitness just for the sake of saying, oh, I can do all of these movements. It's all about, as cliche as it sounds, the journey and the relationship you end up developing with your body. And this is what I needed more than anything. And yeah, stuff happened. And over time, I'm still performing at the moment. Not a lot because lockdown. Um, but I also coach people on breath, on aligning voice with breath. So you can speak clearly, louder. So you can embrace being loud as well. Um, correcting and adjusting posture is something that is quite big in this realm as well. Just because if you have, if you have a slouch or if you're not very confident, then naturally your ribcage will collapse because mm. it's the correlation and the connection between emotions and body. And then showing someone how to open up gently, safely, using both very passive movements and motions, but then also giving some of the movements that I have learned on my calisthenics journey in order to correct, um, yeah, middle back and lack of active, lack of um, activity. True. Yeah, I've spoken French. Yeah. 
yeah, activation. Yeah. I've spoken French for too much and now I just <laughs> can't speak English anymore. Um, and bringing some mobility into the thoracic so that the ribs can expand, but you're not creating an imbalance with the lower back at the same time. So it's realizing when you're coaching on voice, on breath, on, on languages as well, you need to find the geography, the physical geography of the language and of the voice within the body. And remembering that your head is attached to a neck, which is attached to a back, which is attached to a lower back, which is attached to hips and legs. So a lot of things and many fingers, many pies. Yeah. There's, um, so just, uh, I want to just backtrack and pick some of this out. Um, as we go, uh, Tim has already said before we went on air, like very excited because it's a blank piece of paper, because from the, that realm, or t- say what you say, Tim, say what you were, why are you excited when your blank piece of paper? Cause it's. Uh, yeah, well, it was. I sat down to prepare for the podcast, and um, which we obviously do diligently for every episode, particularly ones where it's just me and you, Jacko. <laughs> um, and we normally have a comprehensive set of notes, but I looked through the information that information that I found on Sergan. I was like, I'm just going to let this one go because it's it's the complete, almost polar opposite of the world that I'm part of. Even though, as you've already mentioned, they do interlink very, very closely. But I've always talked about blending the art and science of coaching particularly um and and movement is an art and a science so you've got biomechanics but you've also got an artistic element to it and whether you're a rugby player or you're a gymnast or a dancer or whatever it might be those there's if 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 movement looks graceful and looks effortless then it's artistic um whether that be tackling a 120 kilo rugby player or we watched a little bit of ballet over christmas doing something in that kind of that kind of realm and, and um, that, that endeavour and theatrical, so I'm just I haven't got a big plan, but I've just got some stuff that I want to talk to you about, and, I, and I'm sure there's going to be some crossover, and and I probably actually want to talk to you more about creativity than I do about calisthenics, if I'm honest, because I think there's yeah. some stuff that you you put on your on your I've got, I've got on your on your LinkedIn profile. Can I shoot him with a question, Jacko? Have you got something you want to? Um, can I just start? I just wanted to pick up on. Um... One thing that you mentioned there, which gives us a little bit of, eases us into it because there's a bit of a, uh, a similarity between sort of kinetic chain principles that we might do from a, from a training perspective. And as I said, you picked up on um, a post about um, something about breathing that I was banging on about or whatever. But the whole, the whole thing of going like everything we do, whether it's breathing or whether it's our head position or it's whether how our spine is, how our ankles are, can have an effect on the rest of the chain. Um, and you said... Um, have, have I read the or looked at the Alexander Technique, which I hadn't, and then I went on and read a book that was written over 100 years ago in Old English and dyslexic young lad from, from Nottingham struggling to, to work his way through that. But if I'm right, um, and you can give us a little bit more detail, that we might look at, um, we might do an assessment on someone from an S&C perspective and look at um, how they squat, and we might, we might start, we don't necessarily always, but we may, might start bottom up and look at like what are the feet and the ankles doing knowing that if we have like excessive external rotation or pronation or some sort of dysfunction going on at the ankle we'll see dysfunction further up the chain um, whereas the alexander techniques i understand as my as i tried to understand it was this emphasis of depending on your head position and your neck position that will dictate what's going on below the rest of the chain um can you pick so, up on just pick up on that to start with because there's some yeah, nice similarities between what we would naturally think but i just never come across previously the alexander technique so um originally the alexander technique the alexander technique was about find being able to not lose your voice because that's what um alexander was encountering he wanted to be an actor but was just performing in little amateur companies but he was losing his voice after every other performance almost completely. And the doctors were baffled and just told him, you have to stop completely. This is not something you should carry on with. Try telling that to someone who's obsessed with one thing that they know they've been put, they've been put on this earth to do. And so what he did is he placed mirrors all around himself and his friend were picking up on the fact that when his voice would start to go, his breath would have a sound which felt off and almost ominous at the time. And so he placed the mirrors around himself in the birthday suit and just started speaking and looking at 
the muscles in his back, the muscles in his sides, and trying to identify what the body was doing when he was speaking, because it had to be connected somehow. To him, it was, because the, the doctors who had looked at his vocal cords were like, no, it's, it's just, we don't know what it is. It's probably just a disease. You Bye, just change career. <laughs> um, and he realized that there was a correlation between the sound that, that yeah, it's almost like a rasp if you want, that was coming out, which you can, um, if you try it out, um, if you keep your mouth slightly open and then turn from one side to the next, just letting, not imposing any breath. And if you elevate, engage your shoulder blade and keep the, um, the mouth slightly open, you can feel that there's a slight sound, a slight airy, graspy gritty sound that happens more or less around above the diaphragm and it comes through into the mouth. And so he was trying to figure out, okay, my back is changing. So what is going on? And noticed that his head was going a bit forward, which a lot of people have nowadays because we look at our phones downwards and not facing. Um, yeah. We look at our laptops downwards. So the weight of the head, which that stuff is pretty heavy. It carries a brain. A brain is a heavy thing. Even in, you know, a, my brain, I tend to joke, is not that big because it's French and it's blonde. And so therefore it has to be tiny. <laughs> Your um, words. <laughs> my words, I can say it. Um, but, you know, and thinking back of, uh, I think it was in the 70s, the, this guy who had a brain which was three or four kilos heavy and would tilt on certain on the sides sometimes, depending on the position he was having. The head is, some, is probably the heaviest thing you've got. Yeah, you've got a rib cage and stuff, but once you've removed, you know, a few layers, yeah, yeah. it's carryable. A head is the crown and heavy is the crown, especially when it's full of neurons, it's full of connections. It has so many tiny muscles which are connecting the, you know, the face, your facial expressions to the top of the scapula, and you've got all of the nerves as well going through. It's a really complex mechanic sitting on this, these little articulations. Yeah. So by readjusting the position of the head, he realized that his voice, the sound of his voice would change. So if you're scooping your neck forward a bit like a turtle and try to speak already right now, it's a strain. It's unpleasant for me. And the quality of the sound is different because my breath is struggling to get through the line. Yeah. That line is not there anymore. And if I scoop back too much, I can sound pretty much like someone from... I don't know. I could be. A you sound bit... much more English when you're like that. Oh well, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> but so you you make your voice. You make the voice gets deeper because the muscles in the neck are retracting. Right. And who lives in the neck? The vocal cords. And the vocal cords are two sets of membranes inside um, a circle of cartilage. So that circle of cartilage sits inside your throat. Around this, you've got the connections to the scalenes, you've got the spinal cord at the back, you've got your articulation, you've got everything. So mm. if there is too much pressure or not enough pressure um, or not enough support, actually, in this region, this will have an impact on your voice. And where does the air, where does the breath travel? It travels through this area mm. as well. So by shifting the position of the head, you can play around and find the one spot that allows you to reach a clear speech and a clear, easy breath and a good posture. Simply because the head being the heaviest, gravity has a tendency to want us to, you know, have it to fall forward or backward, depending on how you're built. So if we readjust the head first, then it becomes easier to identify where in perhaps the shoulder or at the base of the neck you have unwanted tension and how then you can adjust the shoulders 
to follow the line you started to create with the top of your head. In some, well, in a lot of ballet classes or in dance classes, people tend to tell you, imagine that you have a string at the top of your head that tilt, that lifts you up yeah. so that everything goes upwards and it allows you to create height. Now imagine that, yes, you do have this starting at the top of the fontanelle. So don't know that the name of that bone in English. Um, but like literally the center of the, of the top of the head going upwards and aligning this then to that placement of the head, which allows you to speak clearly and with ease, and then going to the shoulders, which carry a lot. <laughs> they carry the world, literally, all the time. And it sits right above your heart. I don't know if you've, you've probably noticed this, but whenever we feel down or whenever we see someone that, ha that is suffering from a heartbreak of sort, the shoulders collapse yeah. and the thoracic goes inwards. It's as if they've literally received a punch. So if I'm heartbroken, let's say, and my thoracic is going inwards, my shoulders are going forward, my head then doesn't know what to do. And so it slouches and it goes down, creating more tension all the way down the spine. By changing the position of the head first, because it's the one thing that allows you to see and to communicate. Mm. This is how you can connect with this line that we all chase in every department in calisthenics and in handstand. It's all about creating that line that allows you to find that equilibrium, but upside down. Mm. And some, in a lot of, um, and it, actually I think it was in a, in a video you posted earlier this week, or yeah, or last week, but someone sent you a video for that the VIP alignment, and you were like, okay, the head needs adjusting uh, because yeah, you're yeah. upside down. Because you're upside down, it makes complete sense. Because once yeah. you've established, you've put the hips above, stacked the hips above the shoulders, and you've managed to go from your tuck to your straight legs. The last thing that we need to think of when we're upside down is the head, and just finding that line so that you have your perfect alignment and allowing you to keep that balance then throughout. So we do this in Alexander in voice practice, but the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And presumably the way you the way you gave the the example you gave around like if someone was heartbroken, so an emotional thing, then having a physical manifestation or physical change to that then posture. And if we if we do something to change that alignment and as you said starting with the head and everything else to fall in line with that behind if we're aware of that that surely that then can have an impact on the actual emotion that we may be feeling even though we haven't sort of we might not have dealt with that emotion mentally but physically we can do something to help change it. why people would say like in sport um you know the your the body language that you're portraying is 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 really important is that fair to completely. say? Yeah. That's completely fair to say. And um, I've worked a lot with, I, f I found a pattern in my clients not too long ago. Um, um, I've had a few clients with uh, suffering from spondylarthritis, which is um, an inflammation that courses through the spine. And it means a lot of pain and an absence of mobility. Mm. Um, and I, she was my first client, this one. She was incredible. She wanted to sing because that's the only moment she felt good in her body. Yeah. And because of the spondylarthritis and the, the weight and the emotional burden of that disease, her ribcage was full on collapsing forward. So collapsing inward, sorry. So we, I didn't give her hardcore exercise to do just a little bit of um, the butcher's block but very gently so that you can start moving through that thoracic, but never pushing too much because that otherwise it just creates more pain. Combining that with breath and making sure that it's one movement, one breath, in the same way that for speaking, one breath, one thought is the best way to get your point across because people will think that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> but, 
definitely that something a t-shirt told me this years ago and i was just like i am keeping this forever somewhere <laughs> one but breath for same. one thought one thought one breath mm. it's it uh, it it tidies up inside the head if you want and so by doing one movement one breath with her with those gentle stretches we started opening the rib cage and within a couple of weeks she was a changed person i didn't have the same energy in front of me every time we had a session and vocally afterwards she felt a lot more free just because there was no she had removed some of the emotional the physical manifestation of the emotion if that makes sense um a lot of people and i'm i'm guilt i mean i'm not guilty it's just it's one of the traits that i have as well um when something happens in life whether it's an illness or a situation an accident it leaves a scar an invisible one on the body and we assume a certain posture a certain position when we go through this um i know for me because i was half paralyzed from the neck down was my neck brace and i had my shoulders going forward and my head going in and i just didn't want to speak to people from the moment that my singing teacher at the time because i wasn't i was a, i was in a in a theater company and we were performing but i just couldn't do the movement so i spent all of my time with the singing teacher and just doing singing and breathing literally just bullying me into breathing when i didn't want to do anything but lie down <laughs> and opening through the rib cage gently just leaning on the back of a chair something as simple as that just leaning on the back of a chair and letting the heart rise helped me a lot dealing with the emotions i was feeling at the time and even though i still had the neck brace and i knew i still had a complicated few years ahead of me it helped alleviate the pressure and you know connecting to breath because you've been doing a lot of nasal breathing and that stuff is incredible and so powerful to shift your mood to shift your energy and visualizing the journey of the breath mm. a lot of people who suffer from heartbreak from depression quite often as well or anxiety have a very high breath so the yeah. diaphragm is in so in such in such a tricky situation because it gets really really tight and really really tense so the breath stays really up in the lungs in the rib cage and you don't have a full exhale exhaling being as important as the inhale if not more sometimes mm. so when you're having someone with a collapsed rib cage and you're trying to get them to open up forcing them to slow down on the breath and to exhale potentially even longer than the inhale it helps release another tension which is around the solar plexus part above solar plexus underneath and the solar plexus in a lot of mythologies is connected to this it's your sun literally your sun your confidence the way you tackle the world the way you see yourself and the way you connect to who you are mm -hmm. and what you present into the world so if these areas are going inward because of a shock because of bad posture because of life then we need to figure out a way to open this without overdoing it because otherwise yeah. you get the other side of the body damaged um but breathing massaging that diaphragm opening gently through that heart without ever forcing because if you force that's the best way to get even more injury and slowing everything down so this is what we did with her we just massaged a little bit the diaphragm but mostly just very gentle one movement just butcher's block she did it for five minutes every day um and just going letting the back rise on the inhale and then gently even if it meant going a half a millimeter down instead of what she was able to do the day before yeah just taking your time to go up and down on inhale on exhale separating slowing and bringing mobility to 
physical parts of the body, but also remembering that they are connected to emotions, to your heart, to how you feel, and to your solar plexus, which is how you present and how you are. So I feel so relaxed just listening. Like, <laughs> everything's just slowed <laughs> right down for me, just listening. Um, it, yeah, no, love it. We spend our time running around, and, I mean, I'm chill now, but it didn't used to be. <laughs> yeah. it, takes, it, takes, it takes life, and it takes us um, hitting walls and also making ourselves go through the wall to understand what slowing down means and how important it actually is. You have a soothing aura. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will be feeling that as well. Timbo, so uh, we, that, we sort of went on that tangent that started with Alexander City, but you were, you were about to ask, you had a, a question right from the off. Well, I, it, it, I, said, I want to talk about creativity, but there might be some more out of this, um, uh, I don't know, this, this conversation around mechanics and that sort of so i think it's just uh, there's a couple of thoughts going through my head and that it's just it's more of a commentary on listening to, to the conversation really of uh, this is where we we have to start to understand this blending of art and science because if you take a very biomechanical approach or a, me- a mechanistic approach to movement if someone presents to me 10 years ago as a junior strength and conditioning coach and their shoulders are rounded and their rib cages collapsed I'm putting rows in. We're going to do some horizontal pulling and I'm going to biomechanically shift those shoulders back into a position. And I would have gone, okay, and I've improved your posture, your shoulder range of movement's improved. But never at any point did I think about breathing because it's just not taught as part of a strength and conditioning program. So the reality of it for me is looking at it and go, well, there's merit in both of those options because it works to biomechanically or mechanically increase strength on the back of the body the, the, the scapular retractors and to decrease tension in the muscles around the chest and the rib cage that are tight so pecs and lats and that sort of thing which can cause our shoulders to round in so it does work it's just this is where i think there's a really interesting thing of the future of human performance is starting to understand that it's a far bigger puzzle than we ever thought and we have to be more holistic because you, no one can say changing breath and, and how people breathe breathe mechanics doesn't have an impact so if it does have an impact and we're trying to improve posture and performance, well, we need to start marrying these two things together. Now, the reason why people don't do it, and I, I heard about breathing, <laughs> heard about breathing, this new thing, right? <laughs> um, it was alerted <laughs> to me through a, co- a coaching online coaching course I did years ago, and it was starting to incorporate breath work into core training. Let's not get into what core training means, but we, the, most people understand what I'm talking about. But at the time, I was teaching groups of 20 athletes at a time in squads it was just too much for me I, I couldn't do all the coaching that I needed to do and all of the work that I needed to do from a corrective perspective to prescribe the exercise to make sure everyone's moving the right way and also coach breath at the same time I just didn't have the coaching skills to, to take that on and, and arguably the group wouldn't necessarily responded to, to more coaching in that area because you've you've got to be of a certain level of maturity and understanding movement to actually embrace mm. these kind of more uh holistic approaches to enhancing movement so i just i said i haven't got a question there i just think it's really interesting and it's where i think we need to sort of move to but it's a whole new level of skills to, for, for people not a new level of skills but it's a real progression of skills and it's a real challenge to find a way how to integrate these different um, elements to have an impact on performance because you'll often find people that are very breath orientated and then there's somebody over here who's very mechanical orientated but how do we mash those things together because that's where the the gold potentially is yeah it reminded me also of um we had the um scott robinson the brain guy back on for his part two um where he talked a little bit more about um what you said around emotion and just like you then throw that into he was talking about like the emotion and trauma a little bit like basically similar type of thing of what you said of like how we may hold those onto those as part of as part of our postures and whatnot and until we address those emotions and those previous traumas that you know that the brain is remembering and holding on to it's still having that physical manifestation and i think it's not if you like to say a bit like sort of tim said if you went back if i went back 10 years i'd just be like this is all woo woo like let's do some bicep kills <laughs> <laughs> but as tim said because it takes i think it takes yeah. that um yeah, you, it takes a bit. It takes some maturity, I guess. I've I've finally grown up. I'm willing to take on new ideas. 
It's good. It's a good place to be. The thing is, we're never going to stop learning when it comes to that realm. Mm. And it's true that because I've, I've done both. I was full on just performance and then um, having to embrace not moving <laughs> and what that meant for me and emotionally. And then if I had to perform someone who was like play someone who was cheerful, then I struggled a bit more to go there. Whereas mm. when it meant to go for sadder or more angry emotions for me it was easy because I was already in inside in a place that allowed me to get there faster now when I then years later uh, decided to finally learn how to move and to work out because that's what everybody else was doing and my health was screaming you need to do something <laughs> um when I was be like, okay, so when do I breathe? I had, I often had coaches just looking at me being like, well, it's, you just do it. But, but, but when, but when, when you learn a choreography, you kind of understand that you've got your one, two, three, four, and you're like, okay, I can breathe here and there. When I first learned how to deadlift, um, I saw so many big, massively bulky guys just deadlifting crazy amounts and be like, oh my God breathing because they would get so red at the top and you start you take your inhale then hold it lift it and then you let it go and you let the breath go and I'd just be like but you look very red and personally in my health background this is not a good sign <laughs> because you don't know what's going on in your brain and you don't know what's going on in your eyes and so if you increase the tension with holding the breath then you could create something worse in that region too so I spent a lot of time just asking when do people breathe and then just looking at what people were doing and noticing that I wasn't finding an answer. So I'd had to play around myself, which I did. Didn't quite satisfy me as much. And then when I shifted to calisthenics and went cold turkey three years ago now and just dropped the weights forever, um, I, had, uh, I learned how to do a hollow body first and I just had to ask, where do you breathe? Because if my core is meant to be engaged, I can't have my standard lower belly breath, which is mm. the thing that keeps me cool. And if I focus too much on breathing high in my thoracic, I lose my balance because I just, I did not have a great line. Let's call it that. Yeah. And it takes removing yourself from the exercise, if that makes sense. So you're in your position, be it, uh, yeah, let's carry on with hollow body. You're just in your position, lying on the back. It's removing yourself from the body and just seeing and feeling where the breath travels to realize that actually my body can find where I need to go breathe naturally if I allow it to do what it needs to. The thing that stops me and this is something that you can that you notice in a lot of different spheres in creation and in, in whatever you want when the mental kicks in when we start to think too much about a movement about yeah. a piece of painting a song a, something you're writing this is when you block i would stop myself in pull-ups when i was on the way to do it perfectly but stop myself halfway, throw my stuff on the floor and be like, it wasn't right. I wouldn't have made it to the top. And the guy I trained with was like, no, oh, but it was all great. Like, no, it was not. My breath was not there. And I could feel it was going to block. Okay. But who, there was no one, there was nothing really stopping me from going over that bar. It was just my brain going through the mechanics going through your feet are meant to go this way, your hips are meant to align there, that muscle is meant to be triggered. And if you don't feel all of the mechanics following and you have a mind that is overthinking it, you're just going to throw yourself back on the floor and be like, it wasn't right, it wasn't right, I'm just going to stop. And you lose connection to your breath. You lose connection to the, move, to the moment and to the movement. Because it's something else that's taking over. It's not even the brain. It's 
that little version of you inside your head that judges everything you do. Hmm. And that's what stops you doing everything. Even, you know, if you look at, I can imagine that some of the people you were training, Tim, in that, in doing the squats and everything. So you have the mental and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do those. I don't know how many you were doing. Let's say you were doing 50. You're going to do those 50 squats and they're going to be this and this and this and that. You're focusing on the outcome, the amount of movements you're meant to do on the perfection of that rep, of those reps, if you're doing that many. So if you had had someone like me coming in and being like, yo, when do you breathe? The mind or the little person inside that judges the perfection of the movement wouldn't have been able to receive that even. Because also, and I've had a lot of guys telling me this, being like, oh, you know, it's nice when you make me breathe, but uh, it's, it's for women. It's for women. It's, it's not something that me and my, you know, my 120 kilo squat were comfortable doing in front of the lads and in, and in, in life just because it's not a manly thing. But it's not even... It's not even manly or womanly. It's just human. Breathing is something that happens automatically. When you go to sleep at night, you breathe without you actively demanding of your body to do mm. it. It just lets you do it. So thinking, I think the future or what we should strive and hope for is A, understanding that emotions and body are completely connected and correlated. B, that breathing and learning how to breathe would save a lot of minds around the world. I wish when I was growing up in, in school, and French school is a little bit more stressful than the UK system, um, I wish we had someone who would have showed us how to get out of an anxiety attack when you're worried about exams because we we used to because nowadays it's changing but we used to have an obscene amount of exams and 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 work to do mm. the primary school used to be you start at 8 or 8 30 in the morning you have an hour break at lunch uh two 15 minute breaks one in the morning one in the afternoon and then you finish at 4 30 or 5 30 six if your parents are working you come home and you have Two and a half hours, if you're really worried about school, like I was, and a lot of kids were, you know, you're trying to not be told that you suck, even if a six out of 10 is a pass, it's failing because it's not good enough. So you have a lot of pressure on your shoulders because they're asking you lots of, um, to make a lot of adult decisions in a child's mind. So you, they create and they foster uh, a breathing ground for anxiety. And that stays in life. So if you had had someone mm. teaching you how to breathe, teaching you how to take a step back, and I don't know how sports are taught in this country, but the experience I got was pretty rubbish. <laughs> I mean, um, so in my case, A, didn't really enjoy sports, wasn't really into it. Um, and when I was 14, so yeah, um, we used to have compulsory Roman wrestling. At <laughs> nice. <school>. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, my, teach my teacher uh, was a black belt in karate. She had bragged on about it earlier in the year, and we were like, wow, so cool, a sports teacher that actually does sports. And <laughs> as part of the warm-up for um, Roman wrestling, it was like, imagine a game of tag, but instead of tagging, you have to make the person fall to the ground. Yeah. We hadn't learned how to fall. So we were just like, oh my God, look, I'm falling. And then carrying on. Um, I just had the misfortune of being in the way of the teacher who decided to take part in the exercise. <laughs> and she punched me in the plexus, tripped me behind the knee, and I landed on my neck and it went crack. Um... <sighs> So that was not great. And I was half paralyzed from the neck down for 18 weeks in total and sustained damage and everything. So how old were you and, then? Uh, I was 14. So it's, and it's funny because uh, when I was home for Christmas, I 
realized I had kept stuff from middle school and thought, no, it's, it's time for that stuff to go in the bin and found um, papers from that time. And at the end of this week, because we're with a 12th recording, so roughly yeah. on the 17th, it will be the anniversary of me landing on my neck. Um, I still have the neck brace with me because yeah, why not? I, I, I kept it because I kept on having relapses every so often. And that would be quite painful. So I traveled with the neck brace just to make sure I had my little safety net whenever. Um, <laughs> but now I just look at it and I'm like, oh, you're a part of me. It's cute. But at the end of this week, it's going to be the anniversary of when it happened. And it's also roughly around this time last year that we started talking about it. And yeah. now we're recording around the yeah. same time, which is weird. It's great. And the good news is that you're, you're, you're fully 100% fine now? Uh, yeah, ish. <laughs> Close to. <laughs> Close enough. No, but um, discovering calisthenics. So Alexander was a first step for me at drama school. Alexander and Laban allowed me to find alignment and get my head to a position where it would not cause pain around the first rib and ulna nerve, which is where the yeah. epicenter of the old injury lies. Um but if I if I don't do enough of the corrective work, which once again yeah. relating to Tim really hard, because I had a year where you, there's so much corrective position that corrective work you have to do, and then there's your training, and then there's everything that you have to do, and this should never become a burden, but somehow it does. If you remove the emotion, if you remove the breath, if you remove your connection to the movement. Um, and doing corrective work, while it was incredible for me, if you start taking it on like a duty, like something that has to be perfect, you just don't ever want to do it. Hmm. Or you overdo it. And in that case, yeah, you're very, you've got a great back and, and no pain. But at what cost? At what cost? And that's something that yeah some trainers that i've worked with saw that the pain was coming back and were trying to guide me out of it physically using techniques that i didn't know like all of the real science behind it um but at the same time okay you have to do these exercises every day but i shouldn't feel guilty for not doing it and you end up feeling guilty for not doing it so you do twice as much it, in the same way that some people will have pun been punishing themselves after Christmas with, I need to do 120 squats in order to get rid of that Christmas turkey thing. Um, whatever do people eat at Christmas? You do this with re-education, with rebuilding yourself. And in doing so, you completely disconnect from the emotional side of things. And a lot of pain can manifest themselves. A lot of emotions can manifest themselves through pain, through also inflammation through the body, in, in the blood, in blood cells as well. This is completely connected. And if we could just take a sodding step back and simply putting everything like, you know, Alexander did it with his mirrors all around himself. If we could put every part of us in a line or in a circle and just be in the middle and be like, right, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on my alignment on healing that injury, but this will not fully work. If I don't also acknowledge maybe the anger, maybe the sadness, maybe a feeling of emptiness, whatever it is, and work on both of these mm. at the same time so that I never hurt myself by trying to save myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's a good point in that. And um, I actually had it before we started recording the podcast today. This is, a, is, a, is an example, like literally from, from this afternoon. I had half an hour out riding a train. I haven't done a huge amount recently, so I went outside and I was like starting to prep. And my I've got a bit of a snapping um, in my SC joint at the moment. So when my shoulder moves around, sometimes it's flexion, I'm doing some different push-ups, so it get a real audible, loud click. 
and it's been hanging around for a while and I've not nailed it down. Now, it doesn't hurt, but in the today's session, I could have just cracked on because the mindset of a lot of in, in health and fitness is, well, it's just got to get the work done. But I know that if I'm training with that, it's not an injury because it's not causing pain. It's the, there's something just not right in the system. But if I train through that, then I'm gonna I'm gonna it's gonna it's gonna come back and bite me. So rather, I didn't do a single rep. I did one handstand today, and I didn't do a single rep of anything else. And I just went and I was like, I need to find the root cause of this problem because if I don't, it's going to do, it's going to hamper my progress that I'm going to make in the next two months. Because otherwise, what happens is you train through it. You know there's something wrong with the system. You end up breaking down because the system is telling you there's something wrong, but you're too arrogant to listen and you should ignore it. And you won't go backwards to go forwards. Um, and I think what you're saying is, is dead right. And, and it's, 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 we, sometimes people don't want to do the hardest thing, which is to not train and actually look after themselves and do the corrective work or change the training program because we are in a, a health and fitness culture of more is more. That doesn't make a good Instagram post if it's me just rolling my shoulder for half an hour, but it's the most valuable thing that I did in my training session today. Um, so I think I, my encouragement from, from what you've been saying is, and to other people is that if you know there's something wrong with the system, change the system. Like you've got to do something. You can't just let it go. And to your point before, it, it was making me think back and reflecting a bit about training athletes. And the, the issue that you have around incorporating things like breath into a modern-day S&C environment, in a, particularly in a performance program, is we don't have a lot of time. We are under pressure and the, the time that we have is always sandwiched in between technical training sessions, major competitions, tapers, off seasons, whatever it might be. So the point is, if people came into a program because they and they, and they were taught to breathe at a much, much younger age, then surely that's a fundamental yeah. skill. I haven't got to teach breathing if people know how to breathe. But the problem is our lifestyle, as you talked about, is now at a point where we're just rammed full of stress the body takes its a, a, a response to the stimulus, which is just starts us to, to compensate in these areas. And now we've got another thing to fix. But within all of that as well, we've also got, this is the complexity of training athletes, is that they haven't moved that much that well. So we've now got to fix a movement problem as well. So you don't move or you can't squat. So I need to fix that because coach says we need to squat because I need to get you strong for a sprint or whatever it might yeah. be. I, I just think it's, this is a really nice, just highlighting of the complexity of some of the stuff that we deal with. Yeah. And people have been sat here going, come on, Tim, tell me what the takeaway is. I'm like, well, it's difficult. Like, it's not, it's not that straightforward. The takeaway is respect the complexity of your human movement system and everything that goes on to make it work. And sometimes you've just got to focus on things that you might not want to focus on. Fixing your breath and your breathing could be the most important thing that you do. It could fix a whole load of other things. It might be you need to get stronger. You need to go and lift some weights. No problem. But it's just yeah, identifying those things and, 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 and committing to the process, um, I think, yeah, I was, also, I was also, when you were talking about from an athlete perspective, I was thinking of like getting buy-in is the other thing. Like people have got to like want to do the thing. You've got to sort of, you've got to sell it to them. And someone that wants to do bicep curls and they're motivated by that, they might not be, they might not know that and getting that buy-in that actually if they, you know, you, we could argue that if they're posturally better because they've done some work on their rib cage and da, 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 and they're breathing, da, 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 it's going to make their bicep curls actually better. Like that, that but getting that buy-in for that is is going to be is, is part of the part of the problem. So when, I guess when you're talking about take one of the takeaways I've got from from this is as you say, like not even like you don't have to be a hundred percent on board if you weren't if if at the start you were a little bit skeptical, then all my takeaway for, for you is just to just a little bit of openness to go as you say there tim embracing the complexity and going there are other things at play like you can't deny that you're not breathing like you are and you can't deny that like if something is moving in your body it has the potential to affect other areas of the body and when you breathe stuff is moving like there is muscle activation there is movement of joints so it can have an effect and i've just my encouragement to people is just to to explore it um there was one thing that you mentioned uh, before we went on air that was like a, a, a drill and exercise that everyone can do and i have heard and never i don't know anything about this at all in terms of like jaw alignment um and i have heard physios in the past talk about the importance of it and like you know t telling stories of like they've had clients where they've um, done like a reset on the jaw or something on the jaw and it's like 
you know, uh, took away their back pain or their shoulder pain or whatever it, whatever it was. And it was, um, it was the jaw being out of alignment through, yeah, yeah I don't even know. But um, you, you said, don't let, us, don't let us finish the podcast without doing this. So this without is one this. for, I'm gonna, we're going to do it as you tell us. And people at home, like listening, um, you should, yeah, to, to, to follow along. So the jaw is crucial. Um, we clench it all the time because we're stressed and we stop ourselves from saying things. Um, we chew hell of a lot because, you know, you eat regularly throughout the day. And if you've ever had braces, if you've ever had tension or injury in the upper neck or in the middle back, working on your jaw is actually the best way to relax some of that tension, make more space in the mouth for speaking so that all the words can come out beautifully and also ease your breath. So if you've got your fingers at the ready... People are going to notice, like, every episode after this, our our articulation of our (laughs) pronunciation of everything and people's difficult names to pronounce is all going to be beautiful. So I hope people will notice the the difference. So you're you're saying that next time you can pronounce my name perfectly from the first? Probably not. I'll leave that to Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But if you do this, like, if you take five minutes every day to do it once... Yeah. For a week, and then tell me how you feel. Let's do it. You ain't recognise well, me. The, ah, I mean, no, like, well. This... This uh, this uh, joy thing is really oh no 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 stop stop it stop it what do you mean your jaw your jaw has a problem okay without the French accent so <laughs> yeah. you're gonna take your index and middle finger and squeeze them together yeah put them behind the lobe of the ear and all you're gonna do is apply pressure roughly a six out of ten and gently pull the fingers downwards on the skin. So by doing this, we're releasing, making the lymph, which is one of the most important fluids of the body, travel along the throat gently. And we start behind the earlobe because jaw muscles of the tight kind live nearby. So by releasing underneath, yes, you might need to remove your headphones. need a little bit of TLC. Usually what I do is 10 of those to get going. Then our fingers, index and middle finger, we're going to split them open a bit like a peace and love sign. And you're going to put the index behind, I had to think about that for a second, index behind the ear and the middle finger in front of the ear by the little triangle cartilage that you've got going on there. And what you do, the index, which is at the back of the ear, travels down to go underneath the jaw. And the one at the front, your middle finger, travels along the jawline. You're going to feel a little crunchy patch. (laughs) It's like... You look so focused right now, Jacko. <laughs> Tim's got and that just... perfect Superman jaw, so like I'm sure he's having absolutely no problems here. Well, actually, interestingly, my stenocloid mastoid stuff bodged my names up my anatomy. <laughs> Stenocloidomastoid is actually what is causing my sternoclavicular snapping, Jacko. So this is actually probably quite good for me. Oh, there you go. So just ten of these. Self analysis today. It's all about playing around and seeing what works. On both sides, yes. I've just removed one headphone because otherwise it gets tricky. Then index and middle finger back together. Putting in front of the triangle cartilage, so on the cheek, you've got the front of of the ear, you've got the lobe, and right above there's a little triangular cartilage. You put the fingers right in front of it together, your the tip of your index and middle finger. And you're going to press roughly seven or eight, depending on how tight your jaw is. If you have bruxism as well, so people who clench their teeth while they sleep, keeping the jaw, you're not locking it, but you're keeping it open and you're not, um, you're not tensing it. And you're just going to massage along the jawline. So starting, pressing going downwards and then as soon as you feel the edge of the jaw oh is that a painful spot (laughs) and you do 10 of those daily 
you can feel the crunch. If you feel the crunch underneath or like little muscles rolling together, it needs some TLC and some yeah. releasing. This is junky. Well, as, as we would often say to him, this is Mingos. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've done these, you keep your two little fingers together and open your jaw, open your mouth and place these fingers uh, the tip of your fingers at the same spot as before, so right in front of that little triangular. If you open your mouth, you can feel there's a gap. Yeah. It's the jaw articulation, the jaw joint. Very simply, keeping the jaw slightly open, tongue behind the back teeth, the bottom teeth, sorry, you're going to, in a circular motion, massage that little open, that little gap that you felt by opening your jaw. It's a shame we've not got video on this. Jacko's face at the moment is a picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that this is audio. Audio in there. Well, I'll happily record a video for you guys, but it would be a lot more fun if Jacko did it. <laughs> There's some junky stuff in there, actually. Yeah. It feels quite nice. Yeah, if it's, if it's tense, if it feels chunky, it's because that needs releasing. Um, Some people who have like uh, ocular tension, uh, this actually helps relieve some of it. Tim is now, I can see, taking a picture of it on his phone (laughs) of me looking like I'm... This is is a similar face to when I had my head injury. This is that type of look. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but it was kind of funny. So you've done your 10 circular motion. You do it one way and the other. And then the last one involves a chunky part of the hand so you've got your thumb yeah and at the bottom of the hat of the thumb you have this big piece of finger meat and you're going to place it right where you were so underneath the jaw joint so like the thumb part sides. of the palm of my hand yeah. yeah the thumb part of the palm of your hand and you're going to press as hard as you can into the jaw and yeah. As you glide the hands down towards the mouth, you let the jaw open up and go all the way to the mouth, feeling the thumbs going inside. You can almost feel the teeth in between the cheeks and go all the way forward. (laughs) (laughs) That feels good, and you do. I'm going to... You do a few of those, yeah. and it helps release all of this. Oh, well, someone was quick to Instagram the picture <laughs> of. <laughs> oh, this is like a different level. Right. It releases yeah. so much tension. Jacko's face right now is priceless. He got some homework there to do, Jacko. Yeah, I know. Do this, do this for a week and then report back on how I feel like that a new man. jaw is feeling. I've like got a new face. Yeah. <laughs> Small steps, baby steps. Yeah. You gotta start somewhere. Jack, this might be able to increase your speed of eating as well. No, more, I need, uh, yeah, I need to chew more. more. Faster, that's that's a different, out. yeah, that's a different thing. I yeah. mean, right. Well, we've been around the house a little bit today, but I've enjoyed it. Yeah, Lots thank of different you so stuff much, in though. there, and I think just different perspectives. Um, that's always just what we want to try and bring to the table with what we're doing with the podcast now, and just different voices to to just share experiences and, and broaden out our understanding. And I think it's so cool just to have a yeah, just have something. As I said right at the beginning, just can be often seen as quite a different and opposite part of where we are from a biomechanical, mechanistic type approach. But it's been really fun. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me and keep on providing the world with all of your podcasts and content because I know it's brought me a lot of light in times where my training and my life were a bit ugh. And it's just so good to have you two doing what you do. And I know I'm speaking for a lot of people when I say this. That's nice. Thank you. So uh, where can, uh, if people probably have got some questions uh, about maybe even just that last drill or where can they find you on uh, Instagram etc and if they've got any questions I'm assume you would be happy to, to help them out with their with their posture with their voice with their jaws exactly um, language as well if you yes. need to pronounce French or German or Italian and stuff like that but you can find me under the artful athlete on Instagram uh, and uh, I've got my own podcast as well so hello shameless plug yeah, no. uh, which you get a free episode, uh, free episode. Of course, it's free. It's a podcast, but you get a new episode every Thursday 
and talking of all things creativity, breath, voice, finding your voice, capital V and little V. Yeah, we will uh, we'll put links in the show notes to both of, to your podcast and to your Instagram so people can just uh, click straight through from the show notes. So Segalen, thank you so much for your time today. It leaves us with nothing else to say other than until next week. Thank you for having me and to everyone listening, class dismissed. Just do it in French for me as well. <laughs> Merci d'être venu et d'avoir écouté cet épisode de School of Calisthenics. À très bientôt et ah oui, la classe est terminée.